Welcome to Podcast with Cooper Cherry. Today's guest is Sarah Nugent. Sarah has joined me on the podcast a, a few times. She is also Austin resident, and I wanted to get uh, wanted to bring Sarah back to the show to discuss the uh, sort of twenty twenty Democratic presidential field primarily. And we may delve into some other issues, but I really wanted to get Sarah's perspective as someone who is not quite as radical <laughs> as I am. Um, but I'll let you sort of. Well, I guess first, thank you once again for joining me. Yeah, of course. And always, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me back. Um, I always have a good time. So thank you. But I will let you sort of, sort of, uh, I guess, let us know kind of what your political, like what you identify with politically in terms of, you know, where you are and kind of what your sort of beliefs, overarching beliefs. You don't have to get too specific just yet. We'll get into that, I think. Absolutely. I think if I had to put a label on it uh, based on the two-party system um, that we generally run under right now, I would identify as a Democrat. Um, 100% uh, also think that there are issues um, within that system, um, within the party itself. Um, I would definitely say um, I'm more just help poor people and help people get give them a chance is really where I land most like that's really the underlying theme of of everything that I believe and think especially politically um I acknowledge and know my own privilege and so I'm always thinking of the just the perspective of what what is going to help that other person what is going to help the marginalized what's going to help um you know, break cycles of poverty and, and those types of things. So definitely, um, I would say more on the liberal side of things. It depends on if you're talking money, if it depends on, you know, public policy. That's, uh, the question you asked is very loaded. There's <laughs> right. a multifaceted of course. for sure. But as far as, I mean, in the sense of within sort of the democratic umbrella, you know, you have sort of the centrist kind of corporate Democrat position, um, then sort of, I don't know what you even call it, and then you kind of have like the more left-leaning progressive side in terms of that perspective. I mean, it sounds like progressive is sort of where you fall, but would you, I mean, is that something, a word you would use as well? Yes, so I think there are times and places for both of those things. And I know this is like, it's a non-answer answer. Um, I think it's important to, and we'll kind of get into this later, I think it's important to have senators in Congress that represent the far left, because you have to have those people that aren't afraid to pull the party in those directions, to introduce policy in those directions. Um, You have to have those big players and those loud, sometimes annoying voices to make sure that those perspectives are heard. But you also have have to have the pragmatists, you have to have the politicians, the negotiators, you have to have people who've been in the in the ruts, um, in the weeds before who know how to work with the other aisle. So I think there's a time and a place for both. And really, it's about when de- when you deploy each thing. So um, depending on the time, depending on what it is, I'm for both. Like I said, it's the best non answer answer <laughs> that I have. Hmm. So I'm trying to like, trying to unpack that because you know obviously as a i'm more of an anarchist and i'm kind of sort of beyond the the realm of electoral politics really having significance or being the solution to the the problems that we face in terms of things like climate change and uh, you know wealth inequality and and sort of i guess economic justice 
overall as well as you know the also the the hierarchies of patriarchy and other things like that i want to eliminate all of that that's kind of my you know Mm -hmm. to put things in sort of a nutshell those are sort of the foundational principles that that i'm about and sort of upending the entire system so that's kind of the contrast i wanted to get someone or get your opinion because you're somebody who is obviously like you take these things seriously as far as being a progressive and your goal being to help the poor but without like you're definitely not on the sense like a, a marxist you're not on that end, Marxist, anarchist, communist, socialist, whatever the case may be. Um, mm. How do you feel, though, about someone like an, like an AOC or Ilhan Omar or somebody like that, or even the prospect of like a democratic socialist candidate, like somebody like Bernie or, you know, yeah. anybody remotely on that side of the aisle? Yeah, I think all of those people that you just named are instrumental and really important players of a shift in the way Congress works um, that should be happening. I am all about big ideas. I love people with big ideas. Now you need to show me how you're going to execute those ideas, but I'm not a person who's afraid of, you know, I know a lot of uh, criticisms of, of say a Bernie Sanders is he has these huge, you know, policy dreams without getting too technical. And there's actually some campaign knowledge. There's some campaign strategies that are pretty intentional about that. Um, if you're going to appeal to a certain base, you you think big. You think I, I mean, you think of the person who's in the White House now. He had all of these wild, crazy ideas and people felt, but there wasn't, there wasn't any sense of how is this actually going to be done. There was no real strategic plan about that besides the PR side of things. So, um, an AOC, <laughs> or lack thereof, exactly. Right? Uh, I mean, AOC, um, all of those, they're just, they're incredible. I'm so excited just to see the average, uh, the, the median age of Congress go down just a tick, right. um, with them. I think they're vital. I think they open up, um, Congress to, you know, Congress has been pretty stalemate. They have been ineffective, I am definitely one to go so far as to say the current system itself is is broken, and it's been broken for a very long time. Um, and do I think these particular people are going to be the ones to just fix it all? Absolutely not, but I think they're important players, and they're leading us towards a voice that younger, just the younger generation's voice. I just think we've gotten comfortable for so long, and they are really shaking things up. Um, Ilhan Omar really, and that's a whole nother topic of discussion <laughs> right. is the, you know, how our Amer the, the traditional American political system has really attacked her for her remarks, um, on Israel and Palestine and that relationship the United States has had. Um, but I really think that those questions are, are good questions to have. And she's receiving a lot of vitriol for that. She's just really gotten a lot of backlash, but I appreciate that's what, I mean, that's why she was voted to be in that seat in, uh, to begin with. So um, I, while I am within the system, I am totally there for challenging it. I'm there for big ideas. If you can show me how you're going to execute these big ideas, I am, I'm right there with you. Okay. Um, man, there's two questions that, there's two like divergent areas that I want to touch on to you. And one being that like the, the, you know, people like AOC, Ilhan Omar, it is like, it's also, um, even as an anarchist, it is 
refreshing to at least have someone, like one person that represents like something that's remotely close to what I believe in. Even though obviously like there's a lot that I could nitpick about every, you know, they're politicians. Um, These are institutions. Institutions shape people more than people shape institutions, in my opinion. And uh, I think you can kind of see that happening. And I'll, you know, keep an eye on them as they, you know, move through their, you know, it's only February, or no, only March, and they just got sworn in. So, you know, I'm going to keep cautiously optimistic that it at least is heartening to see some sort of representation of, I guess, the more youthful mindset of what, you know, where young people are in this country. It depends on where you fall. If you look at what they've accomplished in the in the past few months, either you are sweating bullets and you are absolutely terrified for what's coming in the future or you are fired up. And I also think um, just kind of this is a little bit of a, a side tangent. Just they're able to I don't know if you follow um any of these senators on Twitter and how they utilize Facebook Live or how they engage with their citizenry um, over social media is just incredible. It's not anything, any any traditional politician really know. I mean, yes, all of these senators, legislatures have official Twitter accounts or official Facebook accounts, but the way that they dedicate their time into being authentic and to really, in, in really engaging with their constituents is absolutely refreshing. And you, in order for the system to change or to have any type of influence, that's what you have to do. And I also think there's a really special awareness, especially that AOC has. Um, I just, she really knows that's her purpose and that's her part to play. And she owns it and she goes after it. And I think that is what makes her so powerful and holds so much strength um, in all of those moments where we think she's going to crack and we think that um, someone's going to say something or dig something up, that she's really just able to hold her own and be like, I'm, uh, I think Brooklyn, like I'm from Brooklyn, I clap back, I know how to handle this. And um, that's just, I love seeing that. Yeah, it is. It's definitely refreshing to see, but at the same time, it's like, this is, it's funny the context of like how much grief they're getting and it's just like a handful of people in the entire congress you know what i mean it's like i mean we have like rashida talib and rokana and you know there's maybe five eight maybe ten or so ten to i'll even be generous and say let's say there's like 15 pretty progressive uh uh Dems in the House and, you know, a couple, maybe one or two in the Senate. Uh, that's a that's a long way from where change, what, what it's going to take to change things. You know what I mean? And the question being, do we have the, do we have the time for this incremental, like, because it's, it's one, even let's say, and I think if we had to both had to choose our candidate, we would probably go Bernie, right? As far as a president, I, oh, more than man. likely. I mean, I, I'm still so undecided, undecided. And, and part of it is because it is so early and all of, um, I'm, I really start being more definitive in my, in my decisions when we get to debate time and see who outlasts that. Okay. Um, yeah, right now there's things that I like about each. There really are. Um, gosh. And I, I obviously am a little biased, but I just, I dream that one day I will be able to see someone of my same gender in the White House. Like, that's just, that's something I have. 
Uh, something I, I also really advocate for is not only because of those things that I identify with, but I, whoever I vote for, it's I vote for them based on like what are their ideas. Right. And I think when you think of what democracy democracy itself is supposed to be, you are voting for someone based on the, because they represent your ideas and your ideals and what you have and in your vision. So it's, I try to keep that in mind. Um, I also know I have my own biases, and that's something I'm fully aware of. So because I think. Yeah, and we can di- we'll we'll definitely dive into that, but I I'm still undecided, truthfully. Okay, I mean I would I would probably I'll even like I said, not big on electoral politics. I'm not getting emotionally drawn into any of it to be honest, but I think it, yeah, obviously you know it bears discussing. Um, it does have an impact on people, whether it's not you know obviously Bernie's not going to be able to, and maybe that's the point I want to get into is, let's say even someone like like a Bernie or Elizabeth Warren gets elected, that's not enough. And I think that's the big thing that people need to snap to is no, no, like if you, yeah, Medicare for all, blah, 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 like whatever free college, free fucking junior college, like that is such the battle that it would take and the amount of representation it's going to take to get those things through Congress is immense. And it's not going to, it's not like, Bernie Sanders is going to slide through and just like, um, you know, just snap his fingers and all these progressive changes get implemented. There's going to be an absolute dogfight. We saw it in 2008 with something as centrist based as like Obamacare and the charges of socialism and like blah, 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 which is kind of bullshit. And I even want to get into that sort of, um, I don't know, for lack of a better term, red baiting or kind it's, of talking it's, about socialism it's, it's, it's just labeling you like you 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 hear certain media outlets they'll use the term social so whatever it could be if it's anything outside of whatever capitalist idea that they have all of a sudden it's socialism i think these isms um can sometimes be mislabeled and aren't correct and um i think i that's another conversation. That's dangerous. I, I really do think it's dangerous. I also don't think there's anything wrong with me personally. I don't think there's anything wrong with those words. I don't think um, socialist ideas, any of those ideas, um, if they're good ones, they're good ones. And if you have a plan for it and it helps those that it's supposed to be helping, um, I'm I'm there for it. I, I really do try to keep an open mind. And one of the biggest differences between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. So Elizabeth Warren, she did such, she was one of those super, I'm maybe not in your eyes, super left leaning, but one of the loudest. I mean, she's definitely the, one of the, I mean, she would be, I would say if I had to rank my choices, it would be Bernie and then she'd be number two. And then there's like a huge gap, a huge gap. Yeah. And I think maybe the only reason she uh, falls in that number two slot is because of her ties to corporations and just ties to, to, um, to Wall Street, I think. Um, same with Cory Booker, too. Um, oh, he's he, way worse. Yeah, he's uh, definitely all in there. Definitely more um, establishment Democrat with kind of just this this guise of um, specifically criminal justice reform and issues of people of color and the poor and, and those types of things. But the, the real difference between... A, a, Ber- a Bernie is a person who kind of wants to upend and implode the system itself, which is, I think, why he's someone that you really like. And I totally understand that. One of the things, um, so I, I voted for I don't Bernie. even think, though, that that's really the case. I don't think that he's as radical as he's, yes, I mean, in the context of U.S. politics, he's seems extremely radical to certain 
constituencies, but overall, as far as the diversity of political opinion or, you know, political economy around the globe, I don't think he's that. It's it's a pretty centrist position if you try to compare him to someone like politicians in Europe, for example. Okay. That would definitely, that would be a whole system <laughs> thing that you would probably have to teach me about. Um, I... Just the just the the primary difference is Bernie has these big ideas without falling too much into the specifics. Uh, most of when you ask him about those specifics, it's we already spend X amount of money on the military. We have these funds. Why not appropriate them and use them for other things? But there's a lot of nitty gritty and legalese in there that are that's left out that he really can't doesn't provide an answer for. I don't know if he does or doesn't have that information. With Elizabeth Warren, if you ask her about her policy, she knows every single detail about it. That's why she was so effective in Congress. And I've um, I've spoken to people who are excited about her, her run for president, but they're also sad because she was such a great voice in Congress. She was so useful in Congress. She was one of the loudest voices. And she was one of those people that pulled the Democratic Party further to the left than it wanted to. But when you have such a force that you have to reckon with and someone who will read, um, well, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank. But when um, Jeff Sessions was being sworn in, <laughs> um, she stood outside the chamber door and read Coretta Scott King's letter, you know, I, that was written decades ago and, and put that on Facebook Live. Like she takes really radical stances and she she's just a very loud voice and that is going to be something that's missed in congress or either it's missed or it's been replaced by an aoc and these other um this younger class that's come in so i think that's really the primary difference between them is is elizabeth warren is willing to work with the system like she knows how to integrate these policies into the system and can give you all of these details bernie is definitely a more just a big ideas person and one pull that he really has is this inspiration. When um, I went to his rally when he came to um, Birmingham, Alabama, and he's just, he's like your grandpa. You just want to run up and you just want to hug him. You just, you just want to spend time with him and talk to, because there, there really is a heart there. Um, and he just has these big, he's able to inspire one of the really cool things was the grassroots movement he was able to deploy. I think he raised, I totally may get their number wrong, I think within the first week or day or whatever after announcing his run for presidency, he raised like $6 million, just an insane amount for that short amount of time. People were fired up about his, he may have lost, but people were fired up about his campaign. And specifically, I know people in our age group who are fired up and are still fired up about him. And are very excited about his uh, about his campaign. You know, talking about since we're on the topic of both of them, I wanted to read this quote. There's a an article in Esquire that I'll put in the show notes. But uh, one pretty, um, I mean, I guess this is really a good indication for both um, Sanders and Warren is this comment by a banker. They were, of course, anonymous, but I thought this was very telling. And this is in quotations: "It can't be Warren, and it can't be Sanders." said the CEO of another giant bank, it has to be someone centrist and someone who can win. That's, oh, yeah, <laughs> yep, there we go. Um, I I think... So obviously, like, the, they're feeling threatened, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, they should, because, the you know, one of the things that they uh, have in common, both Warren and Sanders, is 
they they have this claim, especially Bernie Sanders, to go after Wall Street, to go after the big banks, say you've been exploiting everyday Americans for so long and it's time to stop. It's time to tax you. It's time to for you to pay your fair share. It's time for you to treat your workers fairly, all of these things. And part of that, um, and I'm going to get the details fuzzy, um, one of Elizabeth Warren's biggest policy proposals that she has is to provide um, free child care, like early, early child care. And part of that is taxing the wealthy um, to pull that money to pay. And, and there's so there's so many good things that would come from that. Like, do you know how many mothers would be able to go back to work? And this would raise the overall income of that family. Um, it would possibly break any or at least help alleviate any symptoms of, of poverty. It would help those children learn at a really, really critical development. Um, this helps is could be a player in healing the income inequality, which in turn, if you have more better educated young children as they go off into higher education, they're able to do well. It, the the, the ramific the possible ramifications and waves that something that she's proposed like this is really fantastic. I'm pretty hyped about it. Like I said, I'm a little fuzzy on the details, but I I'm super excited about it. And um, but I think. I think this person should be scared, uh, rightfully so. See, something like what she's proposing is already in a in sort of the Nordic countries that are this more democratic socialist composite of capitalism, which is still capitalism, ultimately. Um, depending on you know, it's like the like I said, the labels get thrown around, and it's like so difficult to really communicate to people who don't have a grounding in what actual socialism or these issues, because American politics has been so constrained by capital to like basically be, in my opinion, and a lot of leftists, the right and left wings of capital. So things get so murky. And whenever, you know, it's just like when my main thing is looking back at 2008 and even maybe I should back up and go and, to 2003 or so 2004 with the Iraq situation which yeah. was a total like catastrophe and still is and it's still it's been a catastrophe this whole time but when you take that and you combine that with the 2008 um, economic collapse and the way that that was responded to and then you throw Trump so let ascendancy on top of that it's just people like myself I think are just feeling like there is no hope with this current system. Like, look look at what happens. Like, they lie about going to war whenever the economy collapses. They bail out the big banks, but they don't bail out the homeowners. Um, and then uh, some kind of, I don't even, <laughs> some kind of avatar of uh, the worst inclinations of this country gets elected president, and you're just wondering, like, is there any hope at all or is it, are we yeah. just doomed to this nightmarish yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean it's no i i totally understand where i forget where i was from. even going with that cuz i just got so <laughs> no I, I i totally understand and i think just to kind of frame it in in a in a perspective i know what maybe... i was going i know what i was going for actually but 
I'll let you finish. (laughs) Well, my, so I get that way when I, you know, as I've um, spoken before on this podcast, I'm really into, you know, trying to help fix our criminal justice system and our racial inequality, racial inequality and the racism that we, that is, um, that is honestly rising. Um, it's getting worse. Um, maybe that's because we've actually figured out the problem. Um, but I, those who are in the work, those who, the activists, those who protest, those who poster, those, you know, canvas, they write postcards, they go to their, the offices of their legislatures and, and it really seems like nothing's being done. Um, I totally, I get that. And I understand there's so many facets of the system when you try to lump it all together and just think of how many, um, you know, just the criminal justice system itself, you have prosecutors and you have DAs and then you have um, the fact that some white people in other parts of the country are legally able to sell weed, but then we have some people in jail that are have been in jail for decades yeah, because they point. sold it. Just when you look at that, when you look at our juvenile um, detention centers and you look at how we treat um, are incarcerated. When you think of police brutality, and then you think of parole, the the role that parole has on. When you look at bail bail reform, all of these parts of the system, it gets really overwhelming. And something that really helps me to ground myself is I probably will not see the fruits of my labor labor. Other activists, you might see these small wins, but these fruits are going to bloom and they're going to happen late, maybe even past our lifetime. Um, but we really have to think about what our decisions and what we're doing and how that affects those people in my generation, my children's generation, future children. Um, and I know that can be kind of idealistic and it can be cumbersome and it can be um, just really disappointing and sad and depressing. I just also have to realize I have the privilege to throw up my hands and be like, oh, I don't care about politics. Oh, I don't care right. about these things. That's a good point. Um, but the, these actual decisions are are affecting people. And I have to set my sights and my eyes on the people that they're affecting because it keeps you grounded and it reminds you of what your goal is. So I, I kind of turn that around to, oh my gosh, the system's so absolutely I'm not saying it's going to be fixed in 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, but I think the arc is long and the road is long and I think it's worth it. I'll be interested, really interested to hear your thoughts on Kamala Harris given that context, but the my whole uh, sort of digression there was all about um going back to like this definition of socialism and going back to like 2008 with Obama and his campaign and this feeling obviously I was a lot less I think I was definitely not as engaged with uh, what socialism really was at that time and so forth. So in him being branded a socialism and that was like, oh, like that was like the whole like fury was about Obama was a socialist and was connected to all these people like Van Jones, who is like now on CNN, which is so fucking funny. Uh, But it's like now like okay so they labeled obama a socialist and there was hope and there was change and there was excitement and it was going to be a new day in america and then what happened so that makes me a lot more skeptical of people like us you know a, a centrist a cory booker for example or even a really just about anybody i mean even fucking elizabeth warren i mean bernie to be honest ultimately like yeah there's like a there's a degrees of separation right but you know in that context, it's like, no, you're not gonna fool you're not gonna fool me again with this bullshit like hope and change. Like 
either either it's time to like there are serious consequences i don't think that we have generations to incrementalize through climate change or all these different issues these are things that are going to necessitate swift action soon or we're you know society is going to be in real chaos and it's going to be really ugly and dog eat dog and that is (laughs) the terrifying future that that i fear most of all maybe i'm just an alarmist but I don't know, something about that that definition and like Obama being labeled a socialist just kind of rings, I don't know, it seems in this moment so much more to crystallize how th- how people like, even a Bernie Sanders or, I mean, even someone like Klobuchar or somebody who mm-hmm. like, that's a middling sort of centrist candidate is labeled like in the context of Howard Schultz Mm-hmm. Who's like threatening to run? And if, if oh, if they don't run a if if their candidate is too progressive, then I'll run. Like fuck you, dude. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Well, we'll we'll get to him later. Um, what I wanted to really circle back to ultimately was, and this ties in. The tie-in is that, you know, we were talking about on the phone earlier today and kind of prepping for the episode about, um, kind of one thing, and I don't maybe. I can edit this out if you want me to, but you had mentioned one of the biggest things for you is to defeat Trump. And I think that's something that I want to explore with you a yeah. little bit. Um, so that that's a sentiment that I've kind of read um, around my circle and okay. one that I've just seen is people are just, they don't, they know why, what the current, they know the current administration is bad and they don't want this. Okay. So at this point, we've gotten to that so low, breaking so many norms of what the checks and balances for just administration norms, just what we've seen. You can dislike presidents, but I think this, this administration is just, um, I don't think we'll fully understand the ramifications until when they write history books about this. I so people are just really wanting a candidate that they know that they're confident can win and can beat Trump. They're not really that I mean they are concerned about the ideas, but the ideas can be more fuzzy and they really are just concerned about someone who really has a fighting chance okay. to defeat the the current president. Um I I definitely that's something I'm concerned about. I okay. do not want gotcha. So this is more you, you're reading the tea leaves sort mm-hmm. of more so than maybe your personal priority wise. Yeah. And I understand not in, you know, maybe for mental health reasons, people, <laughs> people shouldn't um, focus on national <laughs> politics all the time. Um, I, uh, it, it takes a toll. Uh, and so, yes, those I, who I are, am insane. Yes. I, <laughs> that's the, what she's getting. At oh now. my God. Um, <laughs> you heard it here first folks. Breaking news. Um, <laughs> So I, you know, people who are just really involved in their communities, and I think that's healthy. I think oh, when yeah. you're when you have this awareness of, of the needs of your community, and national politics are, isn't always at the forefront. True, true. Um, you just kind of have a, a, a better awareness, and I just, I, I think that's the concern is they know what we have now isn't right. It's not working. It's not correct. It's just it's wrong and it's bad. They may not be be able to articulate why or you know really get into the details they just know that this is not what they want but they also have to feel some sort of confidence that whoever trump is going against 
has to have that political pull, has to have that strength, has to have the inspiration, has to have all of these things to make them feel okay. We actually have a shot in repairing the damage that has been done. So for for me, I think if we had to kind of go over some points of what I look for in a candidate, I, you know, what are your ideas? Um, have you, what are your ideas well, in the past? I say, let, let, let's wait on that. I think let, um, Man, I was getting excited. <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah. cause I do want to, we'll, we'll dive into the candidates a bit, but I just wanted to kind of mm-hmm. get a sense of where you were when it comes to like how, what is the priority? Is it like, or what, even not so much along the lines of what is how like how much of a priority is someone who you think can beat Trump or that perception is I mean I think it's important to know that like in your circles that is something that you're hearing like that's good data right but I also think that it's good to understand like what you're how you feel like what do you feel that this administration is an aberration do you think like there like there is a norm that is being broken I mean, I think obviously we can probably like say yes to some degree, but like overall when it comes to policy, like what, what is your overall sense? Like, do you think, are you more upset about the way that Trump is conducting himself in the context of someone like, yeah, let's look at like Bill Clinton, Bush, H.W. Bush, Reagan, for for example. Yeah, I, um... Okay, so I, def- I definitely see what your actual question was and how I totally <laughs> didn't answer it beforehand. Oh, it's okay. um, I, you know, the, I just talked about the the general pulse. My, which my, I think is good. Like I think yeah. that's I want to know that for sure mm-hmm. because I think that I'll, I'll come around to my point. I'll let you go, but I have mm-hmm. I have a point that I'm going <laughs> to. Oh my gosh! I'm like a preacher waiting. over here. <laughs> I um, that's such a great question, and honestly, I haven't totally answered that for myself. I. I care more about the ideas. Um, whether or not you can beat Trump, I think, is important. But okay. I really am more concerned about what your ideas are. Okay. Because sure, you beat Trump and then what? Right. It's not like the the world just stops spinning and, yeah. and all is good and well and peace in the world. I there there are ramifications for that and your ideas mean something and are going your decisions are going to affect people in their lives. So while that's important and um, I see why it's important to other people, for me it's definitely more about their ideas and what they have to bring to the table. Okay. Let me let me let me step into my pulpit mode here for you. The reason I'm so interested in this is because I think there is this tendency, there's this like knee-jerk reaction to think that Trump is like something new or he is something like, oh, everything was fine and then Trump got elected and then like all, all of a sudden it's it's craziness. I think it's very dangerous to view things that way. And that's mm-hmm. a lot of why we are in the situation we are and we have Trump is because decades and decades have been have gone on where, you know, these these same policies have been going on ultimately. It's like, yeah, what do we have? We have war, we have deregulation. Like these are the two um, <laughs> constants in American politics is we're fighting some b- country abroad and we are have been deregulating the economy since the 70s, since like the Carter era, roughly. That's when the real big, big neoliberal push to like let's do everything in terms of markets and dismantling things like the you know the new deal and the great society programs that uh, that obj pushed forth and i think it's very dangerous to look at trump and think that he is 
a special case. He is not a special case. He is the embodiment. He is the avatar for what American imperialism is. He crystallizes it so purely. He's just like, if you just like, if you grew him in a fucking lab, you couldn't put him together to be a more perfect example of everything that is wrong and vile about America and America's policy and about Mm -hmm. capitalism. He's an indictment to all of it. And I think it's that's why I'm very passionate about pointing out that, yeah, Trump fucking sucks and I hate him, but um, he hasn't invaded Iraq. He hasn't had generals go in front of the UN and hold up little vials and lie to the American people and the world, and then millions of Iraqis are dying and suffering, and it's we're still there yeah. for for absolutely for what for for absolutely nothing. So I think that's the biggest point I want to make and maybe like get you to maybe you can kind of like sneak this in when you're talking to people is like listen there's these underlying factors that brought us Trump like everything (laughs) it's kind of funny like a lot of people have said this online is like the result of George George Washington and Thomas Jefferson all these figures that we lionize all of that shit got us Trump in the end so if that road brought us here, what good was that road? You know what I mean? Maybe it's time to start questioning some of our fundamental assumptions about freedom and democracy and America and what it can be. Okay, so I totally see. I I <laughs> told, about to say the testify the fire fire <laughs> fire and brimstone. Um, I so I totally see what you're saying in that you think Trump has Trump for you. It's, he's not just a person. He he is a an embodiment. He is a persona. He represents everything that's already been happening, that's already yeah. been here. He's not just dressed up in this finely tuned uh, white. Yeah, he's not like Obama, white. like, oh, well, and then there are drone strikes and, you know, whatever else the case may be. I see. But, uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and so... I'm fired up. I, th- <laughs> I, I think with... You can say anything about... Um, you can critique all of the presidents. You can critique our founding fathers. I mean, um, a lot of people like to point to Thomas Jefferson and his owning of a lot of the founding fathers owned slaves. Um, black people were not, um, and women were not considered people and, and they were not considered humans and they weren't even written into our constitution. And what does that mean for, um, them as, um, American citizens like what what does that mean what does that mean that women could not vote like how um and it really think I think it just depends on how you look at the constitution how you interpret it how you study it and there are some constitutionalists and there are some really smart people that know a whole lot more about uh that political theory I I do think um something good has come of it uh I but I also I also realize that there are issues that there are holes and I think that's that's the work that people are doing, and I don't know. I just not a whole, for me not a whole lot of work gets done when it's just oh woe is me. Yeah. Um, because I benefit from the things that are written in that document. Right. And there I mean, are, and so who more I, than me? True. True. I, true. <laughs> I so it's just I I try not to get caught up. I want I want to know the basics. I want to learn. I, I want to know. And I think it's good to know where we came from. But I totally understand. Um, I mean, people put um, um, who the recent uh, president that just died. Um, 
Bush Bush Sr. Oh yeah, HW. So he is his neglect of people who were a whole entire population of people who were dying from the AIDS crisis. Like he did that. He chose not to put money in funding or or any type of national attention. He is one of the fundamental reasons why those people died. An entire generation of people died. It, it's so tragic. Um, and but you didn't hear about any of that at his in his eulogy oh, yeah, or in, you know everybody, even the left, even the Democrats, even MN, MSNBC are like, oh, it, and I think that's such really pisses me off and is patronizing to a lot of Americans that live through this experience. Like they're always like, oh, well, no, I mean. Fuck that. Like, everybody deserves criticism. Yeah, you might have done some good things, but, I mean, we have to recognize the totality of someone and not just, Mm -hmm. just because they're dead, like, we can't criticize them or say that they made mistakes or were murderers. But anyways. No, I I think that that's a a fantastic point because, um, and I think that's also the issue that we're having when we're telling the history of our country. Like, we we just brush by slavery. So, um just in in Austin when you have the Bob Bullock Museum so you go in there and it talks about oh my gosh how wonderful and great Texas is yeah. and just how brave they were they 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 stole land they didn't <laughs> yeah, want to pay right, any taxes yeah. and they have a small little tiny Ooh. wall about oh and by the way we held slaves for a lot longer than everyone else was emancipated and someone actually had to come in and like force us to free our slaves so it's I, now you're speaking now you're I'm feeling it. We're on the same page here. So, but I'm I'm there in that if you're going to tell the story, like humans are complex, stories are complex. I don't think there's a pure good. How do you learn from history if you don't teach history? (laughs) And and there has to be a complete and full story. And part of that, what is your perspective? What is your goal by telling whatever story that you're telling? Uh, it's, I mean, we've talked, I think we may have mentioned the, the Confederate monu- monuments in um, naming things after Confederate generals in, in previous episodes I've been on. It's just like, what is that story? Do I think that this Confederate general was kind to his wife or kind to his <laughs> right, church? I'm yeah. sure. Like oh, there's yes. goodness. There. But also this, the same person like thought a person of color was not human and fought to make sure that an institution that enslaved people he fought and wanted to give his life for this cause and wanted to keep this um, economic system going and thriving. Like that's shitty. That's bad. Like that. <laughs> and, and that shit. And that part, that part of the story needs to be told. And um, that's why, you know, part of what I want my life's work to be is when I'm telling those stories, you say like with the founding fathers, when you're telling Jefferson's or Madison's or any of those stories, I don't necessarily think we need to gloss over one or the other focus on it needs to you need to tell the full story because human humans are complex. We are weird. We're strange and but we're also beautiful and there's light in that and there's hope in that. But I definitely think all all of those the whole totality of the story needs to be told. Oh, absolutely. Boom. Yes. And getting you're getting radical, like I can tell. <laughs> it's seeping it's seeping through. Oh my gosh! But, I've uh, been here too long. <laughs> one of the main um, thrusts of what I, I was kind of getting to, as well, under this, my whole point about like Trump not being this special scenario that we need to be so vigilant and like, obviously, yes, we need to combat him and defeat him and his 
bullshit ideology or lack thereof. What I want to sort of underline especially is this. My main point being, look at the lack of Republican outrage at what's happening. That is very telling. What this this is why I feel like he is not an aberration. Like policy wise, he is like fucking eye to eye in the most part. Yeah, there's like some tariffs here and that that some of the like free trade people probably don't like. But overall, I guarantee you that like 95% of his agenda and the things that he's accomplished, the Republican Party is just like, yes, they're like, they love him. They love him because he can suck up all the air in the room and everybody's so focused and the media is so focused and everybody is just viscerally disgusted by him while they, people like, uh, you know, McConnell and all his ilk can just kind of sit behind the scenes and do whatever the fuck they want and they can pass whatever legislation because Trump will sign whatever the fuck they put in front of them as long as it's Mm -hmm. coming from the Republican Party, then yes, I mean... That's the biggest thing is this system itself is will produce even if let's say we had like if you're a moral person or whatever. I mean, you can even see this happening to AOC. It's like there's institutional pressure. There's norms and blah, 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 like like these historical conservative ideas that thrive in institutions and institutions will take you. And they will mold you and they will shit, spit you out in whatever shape benefits the continuation of that institution as it exists. Mm-hmm. And that is what all of capitalism is predicated on. And that's sort of the understanding. That's what I want to so much communicate to you and mm-hmm. see what your thoughts are on that perspective. So I am kind of... I feel like every question you ask me, I'm yes and no. <laughs> I'm I'm yes in the fact I think Republicans have been absolutely complicit in all of this. I think there is one party in our nation who actively participates in in an ideology that that oppresses people and hurts people and have some pretty whacked out ideas about how, how things are supposed to change in me. And, and that's just not a smart way to say that at all, but it's, <laughs> it's how I feel. Um, and so I, I'm really, I'm there with you. I really, it's, it's really hard for me to be able to digest some of the things that I hear coming from. Um, and I won't even say Republican pundits. I'll just say normal. I mean, just, I mean, just normal, um, conservative meat. It's just, I have such a hard time with it and there's an active, there's just, there's an active, oh my gosh, like assault on people of color and poor people and those who are marginalized. Like this has been happening for such a long time and it's pretty evident. What I think Trump does that I might disagree is it's not... I don't think there's a total symbiotic relationship between the Republican Party and Trump. So, for instance, the whole calling a national emergency to build this role. McConnell, if you noticed, for the whole month while this all the fiasco was happening, he was silent. He was no, he did not want to do this. Now, they are complicit. And once he shoots out the next tweet, all of his campaign staff and Sarah, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is there supporting. But they don't want these things like... 
they're trying to normalize it and they're trying to just go with, with what the president is, is doing and saying the, the recent meeting with, um, Kim Jong-un and the, um, North, that summit, like that was a disaster. And, and specifically with the, the, um, declaring a national emergency to deploy funds to, to build this convert, whatever it's going to be, <laughs> um, like that's not a good thing because the Repu- Republicans realize, okay, now that you've done that, if we have a democratic president later on, and now that we've established that this statute that gave the president the power to call a national emergency, but the statute actually never gave a definition for what emer- an emergency actually is, which is what the courts are now trying to decide, because there are several states that have sued the, the administration over that. They're like, okay, great. So now some Democratic president in the future can use that same avenue to deploy something that we don't want. So I don't, I don't think the Republican Party and the and, and Trump are totally symbiotic. I think they're very reactionary. They will go, they may not actually agree with it, right? So in their little grumblings and, and, and luncheons and whatever they do, they probably really don't like how this is being executed, but you are correct in they are complicit and they're going to go along with it anyway. Um, I think that relationship is really complicated. I think what Republicans are really focused on more than anything else is staying in power and, and, and appealing to his base and his base while maybe smaller than we would like to, and everyone would like to admit they have a loud voice and they do have more power. Um, so I, I like yes and no. I'm all back to yes and no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't. I, maybe I was being too reductive in terms of how it works, but I think overall the the sentiment is pretty spot on. Like, yeah, they don't see eye to eye on everything, but he is definitely. I, I still think overall a godsend and policy wise, there's not a lot of difference between what you see. Like other than the like bluster and the rhetoric and the just like kind of buffoonery, like it, under underneath that is the, still the same ideology that doesn't value, like it only values these market these market ideas and like yeah uh, and hierarchy and all that kind of yes, stuff. Yes, and the the way markets work is not you can't approach. Um, I'm on the era of you can't approach healthcare and the lives of people into a market. That's not, that's not how, because if someone you're is winning, awfully, someone is losing. <laughs> hey, you're sounding awfully socialisty <laughs> well, over there. Well, I, I I'm mean, just I told you. I'm call you out no. right now. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I. And, <laughs> not calling you out. I'm just. I mean, I, I'm, because I'm there. I'm right there. I, I'm on the side of those who cannot afford healthcare. It shouldn't, that. The fact that people are paying X amount or having to, um, all of these stories of people who have diabetes that are having to ration off their insulin because they can't afford to pay for this insulin that is thousands of dollars per month and they're having to choose between their own lives and feeding their family. That's a crisis. That's that's the real crisis, right? Yeah. Like There's all these other things. Um, that's ridiculous. We should not put the lives of people into a marketplace. That's not, that, that sh- it should not be how it works. And... Um, that yeah, if, I mean, you, if whenever, you want to call me out, I'm, I'm I'm there in a good way. I'm calling you out in a good way because you're drinking the right tea. I, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Oh, this vodka is great. Thank you. <laughs> but um, I mean, yeah, I think that you're absolutely right in the sense that like it's pretty sad when you GoFundMe is such a popular 
route for people to gain financials for <laughs> for like their healthcare. And a lot of times too, it's like people have insurance and it's still like insurance alone isn't enough, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, and insurance also determines um, what, like, what preventative healthcare is. So, uh, X X Y Z test, which tests they will right. pay for in order for you to ter- to determine if you have something. Um, they also have power over. Um, we think that you should take this. You know, provided your doctor has given you a prescription for this drug that they think will help. Um, cure or alleviate any symptoms that you have, but yet your insurance company is like, no, based on some something, based on something, we think that this particular medicine is better for you. So they're only going to cover this medicine, even though your doctor says you should take something else. Um, that That is so much power and so much control. And um, if you talk to anyone who's in the, the healthcare, just the industry in general, like how we overuse ERs because people can't pay to go to their general practitioner yeah, so to get wait that. Yeah, so it's an emergency. Exactly. And Which then the costs I, are like extra being. Exactly. And then it just costs, like that's what taxpayer dollars goes towards. Right. Um, and I just, I'm not, I'm not there for that. I'm just not. Something along those lines for me is, it's like, I and I mentioned this a while back, like one of my early episodes I had on a right-wing uh, guy that I know from high school that I'm friends with, and in this context of like healthcare premiums, it's like, listen, I'm paying into healthcare, like I'm paying insurance premiums. I don't get that money back. Like I'm pretty, I'm fairly healthy. I'm rarely ever using my healthcare. Like I go get a checkup or like, you know, just to make sure that everything's good or like something pretty minor. Right. But I don't have any like huge healthcare problems. Like I'm not diabetic. I don't have cancer. Luckily, like any of that stuff yet. Um, but it's like, I'm paying into this system, but I'm like, I'm paying for other people's healthcare, which is great. Like I, I would rather my dollar goes to paying for someone else's healthcare than my dollar going to the CEO of some health insurance company because they figured out a clever way to profit more by not getting people, by not covering people. And that's what it all, like when you break it down to like the nitty gritty of it, that's what the fuck it is. It's let's figure out how to deny claims or, oh, this wasn't, you know what I mean? You didn't, mm-hmm. like, it's a fucking nightmare. Yeah. And... Keep people sick <laughs> enough to where they, there's, 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 there is this need. You keep people sick enough, they're going to keep coming back and eventually they have to pay out of pocket. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, I want my dollar, like, I would participate in my dollar going to help people. I would rather that be the case than I'm just making some fucking health insurance CEO, a millionaire, and then they're going and doing whatever the fuck they want and they're living this like lavish lifestyle yeah. based predicate, all the whole predication being like I'm denying coverage or I'm like doing what, you know what I mean? It's like that's the, that's, you, we talked about markets being applied to healthcare being like a bad thing, right? Because that's the calculus is let me figure out how to deny you coverage or how to like, not test you for this or like let me like that is the incentives and whenever you have those type of incentives obviously you're going to have a fucking catastrophe that we have and if you take that small little germ of an idea and you apply that to the economy at large i think maybe that'll push you into the direction of like thinking of a more like a socialist mindset or a socialist ideology of 
or even anarchism of why these things are inherently like there's an inherent relationship of exploitation whenever mm-hmm. you put profits above everything else. Absolutely. I, yeah, I am quickly <laughs> finding out. No, I'm, I'm quickly r- finding out. I'm we have rowdy, more, I'm sorry. more, uh, more in common. I mean, <laughs> I think so this whole, he called me and was like, we're going to talk about presidential candidates. Yeah. Wrong. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. To you. <laughs> we'll get to that. I think, but this is more fun, right? Oh no, this is great. I'm having a great time. Cause I think we can, I don't know. I'll be interested to hear your takes on people, but I think something too that like, this is another example that I want to get on in the sense of like this whole, what socialism is because even Howard Schultz are my just favorite guy. Just fucking love that guy so much was at South by (laughs) was at South by Southwest this weekend. And he was asked a question that I think is really interesting in the context of this conversation. Um, so he was kind of asked to define what socialism is, and I'll play a little bit of that audio for us now. Yeah. Well, interestingly enough... Someone asked him to define socialism. It's interesting that you would laugh at that. I think they might be laughing because the person who asked the question is listed as a German. Oh, it was in, Ger- it was in German? <laughs> Just a German. Oh. Since they have health care. <laughs> Another. Well, if you, if you want a good description for socialism, I think just look at Venezuela. Um, and I think that, I mean, I, we don't need to listen to any further. The crowd groans. Oh, God. <laughs> but yeah, that's like the biggest, like that's what people think. And that's like, this is a guy that this is a billionaire supposedly oh yes the market just rewards the smartest most innovative blah blah people and this guy is a god because the market has exalted him to become a billionaire that we should all listen to his fucking opinion and just automatically vote for him because uh america's great right and this guy can gives a bullshit answer and this back to well maybe i'll wait i'll wait till i get (laughs) i was gonna go off but um this is such a misunderstanding. Like, what socialism is, is more democracy. Because socialism is extending democracy to our workplace, where we spend f- at least 40 hours of our week, every week, in our workplaces. And do we have say over what happens? Or, you know what I mean? We have, no, it's, a, it's an authoritarian, and it's all about, oh, we're about American freedom. Mm-hmm. But whenever we're at work, all that shit goes out the window. Like it's all you're under the control of this authoritarian organization that just tells you this. They tell you when you can go eat and when you can go pee. Obviously, you know, some people don't have to be under that kind of constraint, but Mm -hmm. to some degree, yes, it's like you will be here in this building for this amount of time. And if you leave, you're gone. You know what I mean? So there's, it's very coercive and it's very exploitative. And I won't get into the nitty gritty of how that works unless you want me to. Mm-hmm. But I think just the sentiment is the same. It's like fundamentally, I don't want to participate in these authoritarian private organizations. I want to participate in a democratic organization that isn't this hierarchy of you do this and you have no say so. The market determines what you do. And that's it's simple as that. It's you know what I mean? That is absolutely what I am against. And that is what socialism is. Socialism is extending 
freedom to our work, to our labor. Yeah. I'm no... Um, <laughs> Um, wow, there's a lot of unpack. Um, so I, I'm no, um, I'm a person of, of faith. I'm no biblical scholar, but I'm pretty sure that that's what the early church did. They got together and said, hey, we have all these resources. Let's pool them together and then distribute them for whoever is in need. You need a chair, you got a chair. You need a cot, you got a cot. You need some food, you here's this pig. Like I just, um, that's in very layman's terms and probably not correct at all. However, um, I what most of what I see um, in in terms of you talked about American freedom. I think there's more freedom in that, um, and that's that's kind of where I get when I when I think of socialism. I just think like we are pooling resources to distribute accordingly um, based on whatever the need is. And I know that this is very simplistic. I, if we're going to go personally, personally, you know, you had mentioned earlier, you're okay paying X amount of paycheck to go towards insurance. If you know, this is going to help, help someone else get some surgery that they need. I'm okay with that too. I'm okay with taxes. If you like public school, if you like your roads to be, um, built correctly. If you like bridges, if you like public transportation, if you like all of these things, like it, ta- taxing is necessary. Pooling resources is necessary. Right. And um, I, I'm okay giving X amount so that a family who's in need can get what they need. And right. I, I just, um, yeah, it's, it's in layman's terms. It's probably, it's a lot more complex than that, I'm sure. But that's, that's really where I land. I just want to communicate the idea that Socialism is not when the government does stuff like that's a meme that people use. It's socialism is not that it is not. I mean, yes, there is like a socialistic element to that, but it's really providing for I mean, you hit the nail on the head in terms of like it's providing meeting people's needs and that being the priority of how we organize, organize, uh, organize society rather than profit alone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the important distinction to make is, yeah, like, um, sure, like, living in Norway is great. Can Like, they have a lot of op- things, but Norway doesn't go far enough. Like, there's still capitalism. There's still exploitation. And ultimately, it's like, we in the U.S. are riding the backs of, like, the global south and the people that are, like, the kids that are mining rare earth minerals in Africa and the sweatshops in all all throughout Asia and wherever. I mean, there's sweatshops in the U.S. Like, we are riding off the backs of all of those people, and those people deserve to live lives that aren't, like, like we're just, we can just, so we can sit here and, like, yeah. um, you know, I don't know. It's just fundamentally, I, and I don't like to make moral arguments, but I do like to, I do support justice, and I think that's what, socialism represents is a more just society than capitalism fundamentally Gotcha. your scope is very global i need to get with your scope <laughs> we'll um, turn you into a third world maoist and you will be god i mean you're I'm there right on my way <laughs> i am in a classroom um so i i, I appreciate your perspective and i 100 percent see that um and i Clearly, I need to do more or, or learn more about that. Um, I just personally, just in the 
kind of current structure. And I think that's um, why this is a good conversation. Yeah, for I sure. Because it's good to get, uh, I want to know like, what what do I have to do to, to convince you that the revolution <laughs> is absolutely a necessity? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I, so I am on the air of like, I don't want people die. I mean, they are dying, but I don't want them to die in a revolution. That's uh, one. I'm useless in a revolution, in a revolution. Maybe that's that. Maybe that's fundamentally I don't like, I'm so scared because I would be useless. I think you're selling yourself short. You? you would probably be like a marksman. You could probably be like, have you ever seen the Russian like women snipers that killed like a thousand Nazis? Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> if we're going to ride on that bandwagon, like if we're talking about Nazis. Um, okay. Oh my gosh! I have found I mean, my calling. Not we're not calling. up against quite Nazis. I won't qu- call them that. But the rise of global fascism is absolutely, mm-hmm. and it's not the same old fascism of like the early twentieth century. It's something more uh, sinister, perhaps, mm-hmm. and less overt. But it's here. It is absolutely here, and mm-hmm. it's happening everywhere. It's happening in the United States. It's happening in Hungary. It's happening in. That's, all these places and it is freaking scary and we need to be vigilant and it's not gonna like we're not gonna just be able to sit down and negotiate always with mm-hmm. people that have these crazy ass <laughs> ideas that people don't deserve the right to exist you know yeah i that and i think a really huge <laughs> sorry example. that's a lot no, i'm putting a lot of okay. pressure on you no, that's I, can, I can i can reel it in no promise. this is challenge this is good it's good i like a challenge I, I think that's evident in, I didn't think I'd be talking about Brexit today, today, but here we are. So I think Brexit is a, a really good example of that, of just um, the the initial acceptance of kind of a global economy and global relations and what one country could be, contributes to another and those relationships and thinking critically about that. Obviously, I understand there's evolution. I understand there's tradition. I understand economies change cultures change and but brexit's really it, it there's a lot of parallels between what's happening over um in that brexit situation and what's happening here this less tolerance of immigration this na- this national nationalism this national identity um that we come first and everything else comes later and i think that's i'm just not on the side of that so in Populism, um, fascism for sure. I I know this was a few months ago. I have a um, a family member who I forget what the official title, but they go to rallies, they go to public demonstrations, and they record what happens. Oh God! Um, <laughs> so and they're they're completely um, neutral Ooh. party, but they go and they, and they write. And they, I'm not sure if they can take pictures, but. Their whole job is just to um, record what happens. And this is for historical, this is for news, this is just yeah. so people know what happens. And she was there at like a, um, it was, Ant- pretty for, pretty sure it was Antifa and then fascism. And like there were huge, um, well not, my gosh, I'm just Skirmishes, it perhaps? Well, I, it wasn't, no one really, so it almost got violent. And so... Um, Law enforcement, that's the phrase I'm looking for. Um, local law enforcement with these huge machine guns um, really had to separate the crowd. It just looked like something that, and this was on um, uh, the capital of Texas, um, just capital grounds right in, in the green. And 
beautiful day, all these statues. I mean, people were walking and then just almost a, a, a breakout of violence. When was when um, was this? This was uh, a couple of months ago. Um, Damn, not I any, missed it. <laughs> I, yeah, well, that's is I didn't hear anything about it. Um, my she had to come to me and, and show me pictures and um, just show me like this was not, and she wasn't expecting for anything like this to happen. Um, and, and kind of to not totally divert, but I think it relates. I think previously we were talking about what Trump embodies and what he represents. So all of these in the um, criminal justice space, there is a awareness that, you know, everyone is saying we've never been more divided and we're like, no, um, people, activists, those who advocates have been in this space. We've always been divided. Yeah. It is just we just more, know about it now. We just know about it. And I think what's a little bit different about Trump is he gives those people, um, I think the, the percentage and the numbers of hate crimes from the day he took office have been steadily increasing. Oh, yeah. They absolutely feel emboldened. And that is the that maybe is the danger, is this like overt turn of fascism as opposed to like under like Obama or Bush is like, it's kind of like, they at least, like now the quiet part is being said out loud. Like a lot of people use that phrase. Like mm-hmm. that was, it was implied before. Now it's like, they're just, it's, I call it capitalism with its dick out. Sorry for the, <laughs> <laughs> but I can't think of a more engaging I mean, I, I, metaphor. It works. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I mean, it works. Um, and so I, I think that is something, if we're going to talk about, um, Trump and the administration and what is different about him, that's that's definitely that's one of them. Is I he provides a platform for um when society previously said it's not okay to be overtly racist, now it's the plat it is okay to be overtly racist and you'll have people supporting you and you'll have right. people who will defend you. You have an administration, you have people in a person in the highest office in the land that will support you in what you do. And I will always go so far as to say, like, Trump is a racist. He is a sexist. He has sexually assaulted women. Um, he's, it just represents the everything status, that is The vile. status quo in America. <laughs> this is what it is, by and large, is exactly his behavior. Because none of this has been, like, this has been the default, like, status quo is, oh, sexism, racism, homo, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Name it under the sun. That is the status quo of like there, there's also underbelly. An, yeah. Well, there's also an argument that maybe this is where, and I, I'm this is a little <laughs> idealistic, but may, maybe this is where what we needed to face and where we actually needed to come to. Maybe we needed to go Hopefully, to rock but I don't bottom. Know. It's so late. <laughs> it's I, so late in the game is my fear. I see. Yeah. And I, um, I understand that too. I just like maybe this is where we needed to get to to build up. Like, we needed to hit rock bottom, maybe lower than that, worse than that. Like we needed to come to this space in order because that's also some of the work um, that I see in in, uh, in the way racism manifests itself. Um, if someone is like microaggressions, if someone's more, you know, more overt, um, you have, there's more opportunities to just an honest disruption of that. I mean, like that, what you just said is not okay. And it kind of this, um, you know, we've become more divided. I think there's also been healthy conversations that have come out of this um, more um, in general. Like, like this one. Like, I mean, this is this the most the most healthy. So enlightening. Everyone. Huge health right here. 
everyone don't go to the doctor this year <laughs> just listen to this um and so i i think that plays a part in it too um is maybe we had to hit this bottom to get to where we want to be it's very idealist very um lots of sparkles lots of hope and sunshine and butterflies um, i mean that's what they say of drug addicts because like no you can't force somebody in a reco- recovery it's like you have to hit your bottom for like and that's going to be different for everyone <laughs> so yeah. Um, I, I hope you're right, and this is America at its at its bottom, but I don't know. We've been in a lot of horrible places in the past. I'm not so sure that there is a bottom and, that we can reach. And if we and I think that's part of you know, we were talking about understanding the full story. And in order for us to get to where we want to be, we have to make reparations. We have to have rep this is a little bit we have to have reparations for slavery. We have to have um reparations for what and confront and face our racism and our past and America's past in order for us to truly move forward. We can't do, I mean, sweeping things under the rug. This is where it's gotten us, right? Right. Because all of it still existed. It was just under this rug and Trump and his administration has just lifted the rug and all the bugs scattered about. (laughs) I just made up this metaphor. I'm just going with it. Um, So when you have all of this, now it's exposed Maybe this is what it takes. At least that's yeah. that's it's really hope, what I'm right? hoping. Yeah, I think that's uh, it's fortuitous that you organically segued us into your boy Julian Castro. Julian, talking oh about gosh, talking I'm... about reparations today. He is all. I saw my Twitter feed was blowing up. The Bernie Bros are upset that Castro is is attacking Bernie on reparations, and I, I know this is you attended his announcement rally yes, is that right yes so i will let you talk about that and this we can actually talk about what, what i what i lied Circle back. what i enticed yeah. you with i did the old bait and switch i said come talk to me this but instead you got indoctrinated with like communist propaganda oh my gosh i feel great um this <laughs> this giant circle when we came back i yes i had the honor and privilege to attend um, Julian Castro, he where he announced he was running for president. It was in a um, a very a historical um, Plaza de Guadalupe, I think, Guadalupe. in um, uh, San Antonio, in West San Antonio, the a- area where him and his twin brother, who is also a congressman, con- Congressman uh, Joaquin, there are twin brothers. You really can't tell them apart. I they <laughs> I re- really it's kind of scary. He was, uh, it was just a really beautiful day. I've never been to an event like that. One of the, um, there's a lot of moments that that really stuck out to me. Just a couple of them. The community that showed up lo- loves him, loves his family, what they've done for San Antonio. There was just, he was beloved by everyone in attendance. And people really believed in what he had to, to do and say um, another thing that really stuck out to me is in, in his speech, a lot of times I actually wrote a piece, um, on this for, um, uh, my medium, uh, account. He actually said the words like, I support black lives matter. And for him to come out and to say those words, not just to be like, Oh, I'm for criminal justice. Reform, right. Cause you'll, yeah. you'll hear the oh, buzzwords yeah. oh, thrown yeah. out. Like for sure. we need criminal justice reform and we need to legalize weed or, um, reduce sentences for we just all of these little buzzwords where you can kind of touch on criminal justice but not really actually get in the weeds about it he came as i support 
Black Lives Matter. I support their work. I support what they do. And he got really specific. He's like, we need bail reform. We need to check prosecutors and their power. He knew the system. And I, as someone who that's really, um, that, that is special to me. And that's something that really is, is deep in my heart. And I, that just made me really excited. One single favorite thing. And and it made me tear up a little bit. He actually, first he announced that he was running for president in English, and then he announced it in Spanish. So the whole, the full paragraph, everything he said, he repeated in Spanish. And that was just something that was so long overdue and something that he connected with his community with this, with um, speaking the language of probably everyone else there except me. Um, but it was so moving and it was, there was just so much pride and, and love in that space. And, um, I've been keeping tabs on him too. I, I follow him on all of my channels and he just really is conducting himself in such a professional way. One of the things that, I mean, he is not well known. Um, it, he also recognizes that he understands that he's an underdog. People don't really know him that well. He's really conducted himself well. He's made a commitment to visit all 50 states in his campaign. He's very active on social media as well. Um, he's he's just a fantastic guy. I Like I said, he is a, not very well known. I'm all for him. Um, I'm going to be really torn uh, when, when the debates come and, and all of these other really great candidates who are running as well. So ah, that's my spiel. I love Julian. It's, I, he's great. He's great. You should go follow him, see what he's doing, look at his platform. I encourage everyone to go look at him. He's fantastic. Two things. One, you mentioned legalizing weed, and I just wanted to bring up really briefly, we're not going to discuss him in depth, but I just did want to bring up John Hickenlooper, um, who is running for president as a Democrat, is against for the legalization of weed. So that's one, just whatever okay. Foot, one footnote. didn't know who he Foot, was and footnote. now i'll never know who he is <laughs> right he just no i no number two and i mean this is not really that fair um because i haven't researched his candidacy all that extensively for castro is that when he there is some controversy that you can find there's an article in the mm-hmm. dallas observer that i'll link in the show notes um where there were some issues um because he was a hud secretary yes and there were some issues Obama. with um, sort of the housing authority and some of the steps that it did, took in Dallas and that were sort of, uh, you know, there's a whole, I'll link to the article, but it, not reflecting in the best light upon him. But, I mean, if you dig through all of these candidates, I mean, you don't get to be in office like that in this country, whether you're Bernie Sanders or Julian Castro without making a bad decision and a bad vote. So, I mean, if that's your threshold is like, oh, this person did something wrong, then we can't vote for anyone, right? And which, you know, hey, that's also an option. <laughs> I still, even as an anarchist, would advise people to vote. It is the absolute least fucking thing you can do. And I don't think that it is it's not enabling, enough. enabling like imperialism to do so because... There are people that exist on the margins of this system, and a Bernie Sanders presidency is way better than a John, even a John Hickenlooper presidency, <laughs> in my opinion. So, I'll just I'll just say that. Um, um, as far as candidates go, do you want to talk any more about Castro, or do you have maybe another candidate that you're maybe I, wanting to prioritize in the discussion? 
Uh, one person that, I, and just because I'm, I'm all about this, one person I wanted, uh, I did want to talk about. You did a good job of of mentioning some names of kind of centrist, typical uh, establishment Democrats. Um, as a person, um, I, I enjoy Cory Booker. I think he did a great job during the Kavanaugh hearings. Um, he's one, he's one person to watch. However, there are definite criticisms of his ties to Wall Street. But you also have to look like he's from New Jersey. Th- that the the place where he's from that that's what you do. Um, and also, um, Gil- Gillibrand. I oh, there's yeah, so Gillibrand. many. Of the, so she, if you're wanting some, if you are a Democrat and you're wanting something that is more traditional, um, more centric, like she's also your gal too. Um, I, I want more out of, out of my candidate. The one person that I'm trying to keep a pretty close eye on is Kamala Harris. The, the criticisms with her are, um, that she's a cop. Sorry. Yes. Yes. How, so (laughs) that's on my online side coming out. Yeah. That's the refrain. So yes, she was a former prosecutor. However, there's some, there's a couple of things that I have to check myself on. Criminal justice reform is not always been a part of the democratic, Oh, yeah. um, thing that has only happened within the past couple of oh, years for sure i mean even biden like biden over or like wrote the 1994 omnibus crime bill, crime bill yeah. that is a horror yes there are so many people um, at least in um in my space that just dread the day um that he runs for president which is looking more and more like that's going to happen um i'm also on their side too i just just know just don't just don't. He's Please done don't. way too many creep, way too many creepy things. I think to be <laughs> like, I, 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 I'm just over it, and everyone's over it. Just, just no. Um, I, Uncle, Uncle Joe. I have smarter things to say, <laughs> but I just, just no. Um, and I, another thing with her is when she became um, like DA, um, states DA in in California. I think she was the first or one of the only um, female black woman. Um, I. That was redundant. Um, black woman uh, DAs in the entire country. When that this was, she also ran at a time when being the tough on crime campaign was how you won. Oh yeah. And so when you're trying to juggle someone who wants to do reform, um, but also you know what it takes to to win a campaign and to get into the, into the seat, you at things were times were different. Things were different. And I also have to keep that into context that all of these um, just criminal justice advocacy and what in the conversations we've been having are very new and they were not happening at the time where she was DA. Now, there are troubling things like she was a prosecutor. She was a cop. Um, prosecutors have re- have huge power over people's lives and has, have have done and do a lot of damage. And, and they make the decisions of whether of how long if they're going to charge anybody, how long they're going to charge someone, what charges are being brought to the table. And those that, um, that's something that's concerning. However, and another thing is this past is known. She hasn't totally confronted the past. Like people have asked her about it. However, um, any, she did the town hall and I think on CNN, she conducts herself. She's very well-spoken. She's very intelligent, um, there's a lot of things. She's like the female Obama. Sort and and but with more tenacity almost, and and I really enjoy that about her. And I also want to just preface, um, we 
expect more out of our female candidates. I'm like, I've had to check my own biases when thinking and, and looking at women in leadership. And so that's something I encourage everyone to do as well. When you are looking at a female candidate or even just a candidate of color, like what are, what are the immediate biases? What are your thoughts? What are you thinking? You have to do the, the constant self-analysis because um, having a female as president is not it, it should be something that's normal, but it's not. And so right. really, I encourage it. I mean, I acknowledge that of myself. And um, the likability conversation happened when um, Elizabeth Ward um, ran for president, um, as she is now. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, when, when she announced her campaign, there was the com- these conversations about her likability. And um, luckily, there are people out there who squash that. But yeah, I just, uh, with female candidates in general, she's one I'm going to be watching. I was going off on a tangent there about gender and the and Oh, the it's okay. I mean, I think that the election of Kamala Harris, I mean, yes, it would be absolutely great to see a, a POC woman become president. At the same time, it would also, like, it glosses over so much, too, though. It's kind of like this affirmation of liberal politics in american like oh look at us like oh we just elected this black woman ostensibly like we can feel really great like about ourselves that we're so like progressive but we're not going to actually do the boots on the ground activism that it takes to like really put you know make things right and provide justice to those people in that community as a whole and so i think that's the like two-sided thing it's like would i would i vote for her if she got the nomination yeah, I would vote for her. But I'll just say again, Kamala Harris is a cop. She's a cop. <laughs> yeah, I... It, it is kind of funny, though, too. To, I mean, this audio has been everywhere on podcasts and whatever, but whenever she's talking about the story about whenever she implemented the truancy yeah. issue with, like, she was sent a letter out on her letterhead mm-hmm. and talking about the family friend that's like, if you don't, Kamala said, if you guys don't go to school... She's going to arrest you and us. And then she has this like laugh about it. I don't know. It's just, yeah. As I don't in, know. There's just something twisted about it to some degree. And it's not fair, I think, to like harp on that because there's probably like way worse things that she did that you could like draw from. But it does say something, I think. Yeah. I, it's, again, I always try to remind <laughs> myself, like, look at the ideas, um, look at everything comprehensively, look at that time, just if there's some sort of evolution, because that's the thing is in Congress, if you looked at the way she's voted, clearly her votes and what she's supported have gotten more progressive over time, are more into reform. So I'm okay with seeing uh, uh, an evolved candidate. Like I'm not the same person. I did not believe and think the same things 10 years ago. So how can I expect someone else? So I mean, I, I always have to keep that in mind. Yeah. So good point. Uh, I reel human, me in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> humans are complex and we're weird and strange. And I said that earlier. And I just think that's just really indicative of what we have. So if you asked me now, who I I have no idea. I I pull for Julian just because I am a little biased. I was there. I have yeah. more of of a connection, connection. there. Um, do I actually think? Um, something that he doesn't have. Yes, he was um, um, House Secretary um, or House Housing Develop- Hood. That we'll just say Hood. That. H-U-D. He was Hood. Um, he doesn't really have a whole lot of state experience, like large leadership 
um, national leadership experience. Um, And so like, that's going to be a ding. And so I'm interested to see how he performs in the debates. And I think for me, that's where it all comes down to um, how you run your campaign. Also who you elect to lead your campaign. One tick that's really good. um, I think for Julian, um, he has a black woman leading his campaign. Um, and I think the same for Bernie Sanders. I'm not entirely sure. I think so. Like that matters too. Who do you have as your circle of people? Like, how is that influencing the way you're running your campaign and your decisions? And that's something to look at too. I'll just make one brief point about Kamala in this larger sense of how I was talking about earlier about institutions themselves shaping you. And to me, that's like, what happened with Kamala is like, yeah, you get elected and there's all this whatever, but you get into the institution and there's um, a set of norms and there's a set of like, you want to get your career going and there's all these pressures on the individual to conform to this system, to perpetuate said system. And that is why we ultimately have to erect new systems because these old ones are just going to, like, you can f- put whatever kind of ha- meat in a in a meat grinder. It's going to, the function is the same. And that's the metaphor I want to make. And I think Harris really underscores that as a prosecutor. Like, yeah, if you're a prosecutor in America, you're going to do some fucked up things. Like, it doesn't, like, if you're going to be, in, the same applies to the president of the United States. This is a huge imperial regime you're going to be responsible for a lot of really harmful things to a lot of people all around the globe on day one. And that's the responsibility of the office. And it is going to shape you and it's going to change you until we do something else and we do something new that's better. Yeah. And I I think number one, if we take, if anyone takes anything from this entire conversation, (laughs) Uh, it's not, and I, I guess I tried to mention this earlier. It's not like voting isn't enough. Yeah. Oh, you really? Like you have to be engaged. You Boom. have to get on the into, ground. Yes. You have to find, even if criminal justice reform isn't your thing, what if you're really into climate change, if you're really into sustainability, if you're really into, um, urban development and planning and gentrification in your community, any of those things, they're all, they're all separate. They're also all connected. And so you, and it's the kind of the same thing, um, with anyone who's interested in the criminal justice reform, it can get kind of overwhelming when you look at the big hole and you look at everything that needs fixing, focus on the one thing that you are good at, like figure out your strengths, figure out how to get plugged in. Um, and that's an engaged citizen is better. Like, like you said earlier, voting is the the bare minimum, but you can do more, and and I think that's what democracy this this of what it was supposed to be. That's what it really needed is you have to be engaged, and that includes if you're engaged, you know the the candidates, the people who are representing you locally, and all of that trickles. And you can't just show up when you're voting for the president and then expect things to change. You really you have to be more engaged and you have to be more involved. Like to be a citizen requires more. Capitalism has lulled us into this, though. They have lulled us into go home and put on Netflix and binge the show, everything to mitigate that desire to create something better and to connect with other human beings, which is what life is all about. 
and it just continues that process. So if we want to change that, we have to like get out on the streets and, and fight for it. And is, is there hope for that? I, I don't know. I mean, actually, and also before I go off onto another, like preaching, <laughs> like, here we over here, geez. Uh, um, ironically at one time I did, when I was a boy, I did want to be a preacher. Thought really? I'd be good at it. So. I think you would. <laughs> but I think you would. I uh, before I converted to uh, the dark side. Gotcha. Well, <laughs> I uh, I think, and this is not this is differences you see out there too. There's people who want to implode the system and want it to completely not exist and invent new ones. Um, I'm of the, I mostly depending on what it is, am of the belief that. There are there are good people. There are people doing good work. It's hard work, and it's going to take a long time. But I do believe that that change can happen. There are certain things I think um, we need to completely rethink law enforcement and policing and solitary confinement. There are certain things yeah. absolutely I think needs to be abolished, imploded, exploded by. But yeah, I think that's where we have um, similarities and differences. There's our circle. Ladies and gentlemen, we are and non-binary uh, how, conforming people. <laughs> how are you on on time? Because it's like eight eight oh eight, and I probably oh my gosh don't have I, a whole lot of time myself. Um, he's but kicking me out. I'm not kicking you. Out. I'm I'm down. I could probably go for another like ten minutes. Probably. Sorry, I need to go eat dinner. Okay. Well, I'm I monopolized this whole conversation trying to indoctrinate you with leftist propaganda, and um. <laughs> Um, I think that I left you with some food for thought. Yeah, I think, well, as I well. Hope, I hope I did the same. Absolutely. Um, definitely, it's good to have your perspective and see what it's going to take to indoctrinate other people with leftist <laughs> propaganda so that we can start a revolution and oh, change so this shit. I'm the challenge. Shit. I'm the guinea pig <laughs> who works on her I mean, and can work t- on the masses. T- tongue is in tongue in cheek a little bit there, but uh, I mean, ultimately, I'm not, 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 not going to lie. I'm just curious what, because e- the here's the thing, though. It's like, even to get you, who is someone that is would vote is going to vote Democratic and wants um, criminal justice reform, like you're still not ready to like overthrow the entire thing, the entire system itself, which I think is a good lesson for leftists to look at and embrace and realize is that you know, and I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty pessimistic about the, like, to me, the only way revolution is going to happen is the system will not, the system will keep going. It'll prop itself up until it absolutely simply cannot sustain itself. And I think climate change is going to be that trigger that is going to cause the collapse. And my hope, my sincere hope against hope is that that is a more democratic anarchist like society, but even at that point there's there's no utopia out there like there's going to be challenges no matter what system we're in yeah to me climate change is non-negotiable yeah it needs to be on your platform period it needs to be the number one thing that you do but these people are like like i mean this is howard schultz is out here like oh green new deal like oh no, no we can't no we can't we can't do that we can't save the world we can't um and klobuchar too these are people that are out there saying you can't we can't have medicare for all we can maybe like um extend the medicare aid to like 55 like no it is no like bullshit yeah. no yeah. i cannot yeah this cannot stand 
And uh, and it will be um, really poor communities and um, countries who suffer the cons. I mean, people are already suffering the consequences, oh, yeah. and and that's a whole other conversation we get into. But that is something I'm absolutely there. Climate change is 100% needs to be the the head of whatever because climate change affects everything. Criminal justice, inequality. There's a lot of people that say because of climate change, it caused um, oh, yeah. shifts in um, weather patterns and food and droughts. So it caused people to immigrate and wars because of lack of resources. Yes. All it's this is materialist everything. analysis. This is materialist. This is Marxist analysis that can conditions as they exist create like there are ripples like the base there's a base that everything emanates from and it filters through to every single aspect of our lives especially through capitalism and like i was talking about like isolated people go home and they watch netflix like that is part that that's part of like there that's the end point from that like going back to something as simple as I mean, going back in time to creation of like electricity, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Those are material conditions. And I think that's always a good lens, though, to view history through. Because I think that one thing, that's one area where conservatives, they try to ignore history. Absolutely. You know what I mean? They try to ignore what Under has... the rug. Or they it, like try to extract... Change it. Yeah, they try to like extract the individual out of this, like out of the historical circumstances from which they exist. Um, so, but anyways, I've, I've preached enough. <laughs> oh God. But I think this was a awesome podcast. Um, if I, I think if I don't, too. Thank I'm you. pretty happy about this one. Yeah. I'm I, feeling so good about I. it. Thank, and I honestly, it's the one I was the least prepared for. <laughs> um, disclaimer, um, just a couple of plugs while I'm here. Yeah, I still plug, do. I, so I still have that old, good old Medium account. I still write. Still don't get paid for what I write. Still working on that. Um, so if you just um, search Sarah and then E-H Nugent, S-A-R-A-H, and then E-H Nugent, because I have an obnoxious uh, middle name. Now um, you'll see my profile and all of the pieces that I've written. Recently, I wrote a piece about the state of journalism and the... Um, BuzzFeed and all those digital media outlets that let go around a thousand employees and what that means and what journalism looks like in the future. Good stuff. Um, positive stuff. And, <laughs> um, I also, some of the podcasts I listen to for information, if you're looking for more information past this, um, there's 538 politics is a good one. If you're wanting strategy and numbers and really nitty gritty, um, always about slate's political gab fest. Um, What's another one? Also, if you want criminal justice reform, one of my favorite podcasts for that right now is Pod Save the People with DeRay McKesson. DeRay McKesson is one of the leading uh, advocates um, in the country for criminal justice reform. I love him, love his stuff. Clint Smith III as well. I could go on and on. Um, also, just my, be yes. sure to send me links to me, not only the medium, but whatever you oh, uh, sure. want to pass getting, along. Getting all of it. If you want to be an engaged <laughs> citizen, um, my. Um, my one of my family members does an online uh, community called um, Politicolor. So you go um, politicolor.com. You can search that on Medium as well. Um, yeah, um, we'll have all those links for you. But right on. yeah. Well, Sarah, thanks so much uh, for listening to me yeah. yell at you. And you're welcome. It, it was the alcohol. I did oh, have gosh. one. I had one alcoholic. One alcohol in my life was ruined. So let that be a lesson to all the kids out there. Don't even take one sip ever.
Oh, stop lying. <laughs> stop lying to them. Uh, oh, but uh, Podcast with Cooper Cherry is signing off for the week.